Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. Skull Vikings run up the score. Let's run it. Da, da, da. Woo! And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Who is a little over the moon that uh, Trevor Simeon just got traded to the Vikings. Fired up, um, baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that he's not a Bronco anymore. But if he had to go anywhere, I'm, I'm glad it's to Minnesota. Get him back in purple. Uh, keep him in the Westlaw Pirates family. So that, that's I exciting. Can't. I can't wait for him to take that final kneel down next time we go head-to-head and stick it to John Elway. <laughs> what, in, in the Super Bowl? I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not just going to say that, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be honest, Sammy. Case Keenum ain't getting yelled at the Super Bowl with that offensive line. <laughs> no, but Baker Mayfield might. Oh. Oh, es possible. In any case, uh, yes, NFL free agency started today, but uh, uh, something else that we have uh, much more pressing on our minds is the NCAA tournament. And we've got our resident bracketologist, Scott Sepich, coming on with us here in a little bit. Uh, before we get to Scott, I do want to remind everyone, uh, hopefully by the time you've li- you're listening to this, you've already enrolled in the Westlaw Pirates Tournament Challenge on ESPN. Uh, if you head to our website, westlawpirates.com, you can follow the link there and use the password pirates. That's all lowercase. Um, and hopefully you're listening to this before the brackets lock uh, early on Thursday morning. So we are very excited to welcome back uh, for, what, is our seventh time uh, with with you, Scott? At least. I don't know. How long was, how long has the pod been on? Uh, it's, yeah. It's that long, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, <laughs> since it started back in 2010. So I guess this is our yeah seventh or eighth year. Uh, Scott Sepich, our resident bracketologist, welcome back uh, for yet another year of talking brackets. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting you know juxtaposition from this year to last year. I know last year we were all just you know, wearing our purple glasses, very excited. Northwestern's in the tournament for the first time. That's pretty much all we had to talk about. Obviously, this year a little bit different, but uh, you know, I, I I think the big kind of you know, at least what the big talking heads are are all talking about is just kind of the parody in there. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a, a far and away favorite this year. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Well- I, I think I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends who are big college hoops fans, and we were kind of like, "Like, who do you trust to win six games in a row?" Uh, at, you know, like there's because it seems like nobody's really gone on like huge runs. Like, like everybody's been kind of like they'll go on a, like a few game run and they'll lose like a weird game, like when Villanova lost to St. John's or like Kansas getting blown out by I think like Oklahoma State or Baylor or one of those or or Xavier doing. Virginia's been the one team that's probably been pretty consistent all year long, but but the, but Virginia has this sort of like stigma that they always choke in the tournament. So like, and they now they have one of their best players out, I think, for the tournament. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of hard to find like the team that you think like, oh yeah, this is a team that really has been consistent and really can go out and win six games in a row. So that's what's going to be kind of fun because obviously some team has to do it, but it's hard to identify one right now. I kind of feel like I don't know, Scott, if if you agree, but. One of my thoughts this year in terms of, I guess, not just the the way the teams themselves are shaken out, but also kind of the way the sport has been covered this year, 
I almost feel like it's more NBA centric than it's been in a while, not just because of the, you know, the scandals and, and all of those things coming down, but so many of, of the top teams and, and the way those teams were covered were star driven. I mean, obviously Trey Young captured, you know, was all ESPN wanted to talk about for like the first half of the season until Oklahoma went into the tailspin. But, you know, it's like Duke is Marvin Bagley and, you know, you've got Mo Bamba and DeAndre Ayton and all these guys and, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that's kind of contributing it too, where it just seems like so many of these teams are like, well, this guy can get them this far, you know, and it's, I'm almost like, there, there doesn't seem to be a team where anyone is just like, this team is just awesome and they're just going to steamroll their way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. It, it seems like maybe in the recent, recent years, it's been a trend of like, that you don't know maybe a whole lot about even some of the top teams, like just the makeup of their teams. And um, it doesn't come out as much during the regular season. I don't know if that's just because of, like you said, the way that, that maybe ESPN covers it these days, because it's, it's so centric on like who are the NBA prospects. But yeah, it is. It definitely, there's like, you know, can you really identify like the best players on some, even some of these top teams? I mean, like, even Virginia's Avier, it's like, uh, are, are there big time guys on the on these teams that you really know a lot about? Not really, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm alone there, but it just seems like, um, well, it's it, almost, it does seem like the, the teams are a little more anonymous. Well, it's almost weird. Like a guy like Jalen Brunson, all of, all of a sudden becomes, you know, he's almost like this veteran workhorse, and it's like, well, this guy was like one of the top ten recruits in the country, like when he came out of high school. It's like, it's like, but now it's like so much is like, who are the top ten guys in the draft, and what teams do they play for? I don't know. It's just, it's strange, yeah. And like you said, it can, well, at least in my case, and one of the reasons I'm so glad you're on is it contributes to me just knowing very, very little about things going into the tournament. Well, uh, the the regular season is so hard to uh, dive into, you know, with depth, at least for me personally, with football and then hockey and, you know, all sorts of other things flying around. Um, you know that the tournament is coming and that's that's when that's the meat of the college basketball season. unless you're a junkie, uh, no offense to anybody who's a junkie, but, you know, it's 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 hard to engage. And the biggest probably the biggest story of the first half of the season was Trey young that you already brought up John, but then the biggest story in the second half of the season was Arizona and this potential wiretap and the names of these big time players that, uh, may or may not have gotten money. Um, I mean, I think I'm pretty confident they all got money, but whether or not it can be proven, um, <laughs> becomes a big question. So I like, I don't think the FBI is going to show up at any of these games, but that's been the pervading story at least the last month of the season. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, Sammy, you emailed me a couple of weeks ago about whether or not we were going to redo the standings from the 2013 pool because Louisville had to vacate. So, like, <laughs> so I had to actually like put a provision this year that's all like whatever happens on the court is final. Like you know, because who knows how many teams are going to have to like you know forfeit their wins or whatever from this. But yeah, it's kind of too. I mean, it's not that surprising. I mean, nobody's really shocked about any of this stuff, right? I mean. We kind of all know this is going on, but at the same time, it does sort of cast a bit of a cloud over the whole thing about like, like, all right, what teams, you know, what teams did what and what players are going to be ineligible or what coaches are going to get fired and all these kinds of things. And who knows when that's all going to come out. It's, it's, uh, 
I'm surprised a little bit actually that, it's, that it seems like it's quieted down at least in the, in the last couple of weeks when it was a big storm like maybe a month ago. But. Uh, one one thing I heard today that would be absolutely crazy, and and I, I think there's a fairly there is a chance that this could happen. But imagine the media storm if your championship game was Arizona versus Michigan State. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, can we? I, I haven't really do- dove deep enough into the bracket, but I'm like, can we have an entire an entirely vacated Final Four? <clears throat> like, is that possible? I feel like it is. I feel like. Without without looking too closely, there's at least one team we could pull out of every one of these regionals that there's a really good chance is going to have to to forfeit all, all of their games. I um, still don't understand how North Carolina is a team in this in this field. I it, it's it continues to be just totally perplexing um, and ridiculous that that team has suffered no repercussions for uh, the years of uh, fake education that they provided to their to their players purposefully. Yes, so we could have uh, Arizona, North Carolina, um, Michigan State. It could be three of the Final Four, and that could work. <laughs> the East, uh, just throw, East throw, throw West Virginia. Look, just throw West Virginia. West Virginia you know, you they, know Huggy Bear is up to bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. So the East region looks to be the cleanest. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, given that that all of us. Or, or all of us Westlot pirates have such a low level of overall intricate knowledge. Uh, can we kind of latch on to the hive mind that is your bracket, uh, your uh, tournament, and find out? I mean, like statistically, who are the quote unquote sharps uh, relative to your tournament? Uh, who are they banging? Who are the who are the hot teams? Who are the hot teams? Actually, so basically half of. Uh, my entries thus far have picked only two teams. Uh, 26% are on Villanova, 22% are on Virginia. So, really? Oh. That many people are still on Virginia, huh? Yeah, yeah, still a lot of people on Virginia. I mean, you know, people still get starry-eyed at the one number, you know, next to the team. So, um, And they have a really tough road. They have Arizona, potentially Arizona or Kentucky in third Cincinnati. round. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Uh, Tennessee could come through there. Um, even Creighton in round two, if that if Creighton gets, I mean that maybe yeah, Creighton impressed me against Northwestern, but that would you know that's probably not that big of a win now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, Scott, I was just filling out my bracket. I had the exact yeah. same thought. I was like, oh, yeah. oh, Creighton. Oh, wait, Creighton. Yeah, they look good uh, against us. Uh, yeah, so yeah they looked great against but, us, but they, I'm pretty sure they have no defense uh, yeah. based on that game. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Villanova doesn't surprise me. Maybe as being the most popular pick, just because it's you know they're two years removed from winning. Um, we'll have a couple players left over from that team. Uh, they're always seem to be pretty consistent. Uh, um, although last year they lost in round two last year, I believe, uh, to Wisconsin's. You never know. And guess who yeah. they? I guess who they might play in round three? Huggy Bear himself and West Virginia. Yeah. I'll be so, honest, guys. Yeah. It's, it's going to be really hard for me to not pick a Cincinnati-West Virginia final just for, <laughs> like, the nostalgia and the dirtiness of it. Yeah, sadly, Pitt wasn't good this year, so you don't you can't factor them into the equation and just get some <laughs> sort of – some sort of, the, yeah, hills and hollers, hills and hollers, just, uh, yeah, backyard brawl. Um, 
So who? So if those are the big ones, are there any? I don't know any lower seeds. Is there anyone? You know, twos, threes that you know are getting any kind of love or action. Well, it's kind of funny. So, forty-eight uh, percent have taken either Villanova or Virginia. Uh, so the third most popular pick is Michigan State, actually. Um, then Kansas, Xavier, be some is a one seed, but they they're getting one percent of the action right now. Wow, <laughs> so nobody's on Xavier right now. But I've gotten a few for Tennessee, gotten a few for Purdue. Can we talk about Purdue? A handful from Michigan. So, can we talk about Purdue? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about Purdue because I like they were. I feel like Michigan State was a little bit up and down. Like Purdue was probably the the most consistent team in the Big Ten this season, at least. I mean, until kind of the end there, and then their fan base had collective apoplexy when they lost the Big Ten in the Big Ten tournament championship game, <laughs> um, and uh, are are literally freaking out about this team uh, bombing out early in the tournament. Are they really built for a run, or have they just kind of benefited from a weak Big Ten this year? I think they're pretty good, but in fact, they're one of the teams that I am most like bullish on, I would say. Uh, you look, they had a couple of, I'm looking at their schedule now, actually. They had a couple, like, they lost to Tennessee early, and that doesn't, that doesn't look bad. Um, and then they had a three-game losing streak in the middle of the Big Ten. They lost to Ohio State by one point. They lost at Michigan State by three. Um, they lost at Wisconsin, which isn't the best-looking loss, but Wisconsin actually mm. wasn't down the stretch. Wisconsin actually played pretty well from, like, middle of, I would say, early February on, uh, especially at home. And, uh, and then they lost, lost to Michigan in the Big Ten title game. I believe they're one of the only teams in the country I heard that has not lost by double digits this year. Uh, every game they lost was, was single digits. Um, and most of them were within, I mean, they were all within three or four points, except for the except for the last game against Michigan, they lost by nine. Every other loss was by three, one, three, or four. So they're really close to being like, you know, they're 28 and six. They could be 32 and two or something like that if a couple things go their way. So um, I think they're a really good three-point shooting team. And then you add in Haas in the middle. I think they're as far as a team that had kind of, kind of both elements. I don't know how many teams have that kind of you know versatility uh, to go inside out like that. We actually get a little bit of, of a bonus with you this year, Scott, because you were actually at the Big Ten tournament this year. So you know, kind of folded into this Purdue discussion. Um, you know, you of the four teams that are in, you know, from the Big Ten. What was your feeling based on just eyeball test of seeing these teams up close? Like, I mean, did like did you come away being like Michigan and one and they deserve and they're the best team and or you know was Purdue the most impressive to you or I mean, what are your kind of general thoughts about those Big Ten teams based on what you saw in the tourney? Yeah, so I was there. So I I went. I didn't go to the last two days. I watched those on TV from New York, <laughs> but I was there for the. I went to the two long days. So I went to all day Thursday four games, all day Friday four games. Um, and it was kind of funny. Michigan came out against Iowa on Thursday and almost lost. I mean, they they went to overtime in that game. They gave away a lead late. Um, 
that Bohannon kid from Iowa hits like a 35-footer to send it to overtime. Uh, Michigan finally kind of got it together late, you know, in, in overtime got it together a little bit. And I thought, all right, well, they they escaped, and then they ended up just kind of like cruising from there, um, you know, all the way through it, which, you know, that happens sometimes. Seems get a wake-up call early in that tournament. Um, so it was, it was kind of funny that they struggled early and then and then ended up winning the whole thing. And then when I, when I saw Purdue against Rutgers – you know, Rutgers almost won that game, uh, and that was actually one of the most. I will say the the game that that night session on Friday, which was the Penn State Ohio State game, and then Purdue Rutgers, was one of the most, most fun tournament sessions I've ever think I've been to. Penn State ended up winning over Ohio State on a last second dunk with like two seconds left, uh, and the place was was going nuts. And then Rutgers had a surprising number of fans there people talk about that nobody's a Rutgers fan there were quite a few of them actually they were really fun like it was they were they're obviously a terrible team like they beat Indiana on Thursday and they gave Purdue a really good run on Friday so um it was funny like none of those top teams really like had great starts to the tournament I thought you know Michigan State kind of struggled with Wisconsin Purdue struggled with Rutgers Michigan didn't look great early um, and then Ohio State lost to Penn State, so uh, that I guess gives some some credence to the sense that maybe these top Big Ten teams are are pretty you know vulnerable. But I still think that teams like Purdue and Michigan, you know, look better down the stretch. Yeah, I mean Michigan, you know, hasn't lost hasn't lost since uh, we beat them uh, back in the right, middle of yeah. February. Um, but it, it's interesting, you know, you look at the, the Big Ten tournament and I, I, you know, just to digress from the, from the big dance a bit, uh, last week we, we were talking about the Big Ten tournament and, um, I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, what was the atmosphere like in Madison Square Garden? Well, so on Thursday when I first got there for the first game, which is Maryland, Wisconsin, was completely dead. Like there, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people there, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be rough. Um, but then Michigan showed up, and, and they had some fans, and then the night sessions, or the daytime session on Friday, and then the night sessions both nights filled in pretty good. Like there were, you know, it wasn't sold out or anything like that, but there were good crowds. Um, MSG is awesome. Like they renovated it a few years ago. Like, when I lived there back in the 2000s, it was an okay arena, but it's really, really nice now. It's one of my, I, like, being there, I was like, that's one of my favorite arenas I've been to uh, since they did the renovation. So I know that the whole thing was like, oh, it doesn't make sense because the Big Ten's not in New York and all this kind of stuff. But I thought it was really fun, and I thought it was, like, a good excuse to, you know, make a trip to New York and uh, this pretty good pretty good chunks of fans from from all the schools there the one school that really didn't have any fans was nebraska for their game like there were like 20 of them but every other team <laughs> at least had like some sort of representation there and and some of them were bigger than others obviously like even northwestern against penn state we had a pretty decent crowd for so because uh, there's a lot of you know nu people in new york so i thought it was really fun like i i, I know they're not going to do it again because you know they have the whole week the early thing didn't really work out very well and having to compress the schedule and everything, but um, 
I didn't really understand the like, oh, it was a disaster type thing because I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, I just think the thing that bothered me the most, I I guess, when I when I kind of realized after the fact what it what it meant for the final week of the season leading to the tournament is that it felt like the Big Ten had gone from like the last you know conference championship to be played to a complete and total afterthought during championship week. I don't know what that means for the tournament. Maybe it means like, you know, the teams like Purdue and Michigan State are going to come in super well rested. It might be really um, uh, bad for a team like Michigan that was coming off such a high and so much momentum to um, have to try to restart themselves again. But I don't know. It's just I, I, I could be reading too much into things, but it just seemed like a net negative for the conference um, given the heightened attention at this at this time of the year, it, it, it set the Big Ten up as like a preamble uh, to the real show of the Big East. Yeah, I mean, it did feel that way a little bit, I guess. And yeah, being there and knowing, okay, the, the Big East is coming in next, and the ACC was coming to Brooklyn, and um, it kind of felt like, oh, you know, the Big Ten was sort of the warm up for the main events or whatever. Like, so I, I kind of got that a little bit. Um, so the, the larger discussion around it, like, like, I totally understand, like, why there'd be criticism of it, why, I'm just, I'm just kind of glad that they at least tried it. They were like, hey, we're, we're going to do something a little bit crazy here and see what happens. And, you know, again, that's probably not going to happen again, but as far as being there and, and, and seeing, seeing in person and being around in person, like, I thought it. I thought it actually went pretty well as far as a fan experience went. Um, so from that perspective, I, I I thought it went well. And I think a lot of it will also play out, you know, seeing how uh, these four Big Ten teams do uh, in th- this opening weekend of, of the NCAA tournament. You know, I, it would it do, does kind of strike me like having that week off, you know, it could really derail momentum. And, you know, there is such a thing as being too, you know, the fine line between well rested and rusty. Uh, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how that line gets towed. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's all kind of like a, that's all kind of anecdotal, right? In terms of like, is it better to be well rested or is it bad to have, you know, all that time off? I don't know if there's any, I've never seen any like data that, that, it, you know, suggest that one thing is better than the other, other than like maybe you get to rest for injuries or something like that. But I don't know. Like I, you can make a case either way. Like, oh, it's great to be rested, or it's or we wish we would have been playing three days ago. So it's like I don't know. Like <laughs> I, it's sort of hard to say. Well, since my daughter has South Dakota State winning the national championship, I I'm I'm all for that Ohio State rust. I need the I need the Jackrabbits to get off to a strong start here. Uh. In in a similar vein, and so when you go down, you know, and you're you're pawing through all of your all of your data, all of your submissions, any ones where people are just swinging for the fences, just any any crazy picks where where I don't know, it's not insane, like where you're like, I guess I can see what the logic is here. Uh, anyone, you know, just kind of taking a big cut with with someone we wouldn't think. Uh, well, I do. Have one person who's picked Florida State to win the national championship. It's an odd one, but wow! Uh, Are they an alum? Uh, 
I don't know. I uh... <laughs> oh, I also have one person who's picked the winner of the Arizona State Syracuse <laughs> game to make the final game. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of who that is, regardless, it's it's a you know you get an either or. My my any, any Bayheim relationship big, there. We had a big debate in my bracket about whether or not to include keep including the first four games, and it was voted down. So, um, so now we have the either or, as you can pick either eleven seed that you know in the first four games. So, um, but yeah, 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 that's probably. That might be the craziest pick, actually. It would be the the winner. <laughs> I've got four. Let's see. I'm looking at the final fours here. Do you have um, do you have an Oklahoma in the final four? <laughs> someone do who's done nothing person... but someone who's done nothing but go to ESPN.com for right. Yeah. One and then their laptop the broke like two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> but. You... Well, last year, if we would have, I would have been like, all right, somebody's got South Carolina in the final four. I would have been laughing at that, too, and then that happened. So, I want to ask about the, uh, you know, the 512 is always a, a big, th- big discussion. And, you know, something that's really interesting, at least to me this year, is the way the 512s kind of fell, uh, you know, fell into. You know, in every case, you've got like a, a big name, blue blood number five seed. And you've got you know a 12 seed that is a mid-major at best. I mean, West Virginia versus Murray State. You've got Kentucky versus Davidson. You got Ohio State and uh, South Dakota State, and Clemson and New Mexico State. So it's real interesting. And you know, what do you what do you make of that? And kind of what uh, what 12s should we be on the lookout for? Or, or is this going to be one of those weird years where every five wins? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty typical for the 12 seeds to be these kind of teams. The conference champions, sort of like the upper echelon of the of the mid to low major conference champs kind of usually fall into this spot, which is why they, probably why they tended to win games sometimes, is because they maybe seem will be underestimated a little bit. Um, Mexico State is by far the most popular of these picks, of these 12. That would be a or at least four 12 seeds, they would be uh, playing Clemson. Uh, so I've got 35% people, of people picking New Mexico State to win that game, actually, right now. And 18% actually have them getting thrust past the second round, too. So um, Not a lot of love for Auburn there? Not a lot of love for Auburn or Clemson. And, and I have to say... Hard to be good at both football at and a, basketball. If you look at the four fives, you look at... Okay, you've got Gonzaga, Ohio State, the four fives in one bracket. You've got Arizona, Kentucky in another bracket. You've got Wichita State, West Virginia in another bracket. Then you have Auburn, Clemson. And it's like, which pair doesn't seem to fit here, right? Like, And Auburn had a great year, but they kind of limped to the end. Clemson, you know, has been up and down. So if there's one, you know, quadrant that's, kind of right for a team like New Mexico State or the College of Charleston <laughs> to pull off upsets. It kind of seems like that one makes the most sense to me. Yeah, Auburn, I got uh, two words for you, and that's Bruce Pearl. I was going to say, if there's anyone if there's anyone who's played with house money, it's that guy. I, I'm just amazed he's got a job. Like, Oh, is he coaching Charleston? <laughs> no, he's no, coaching Auburn. Auburn. 
Oh, Auburn. oh he's because he's Auburn. Auburn. Oh, well, speaking of, of names from the past, um, which team is, it? I think it's Houston featuring, uh, Kelvin Sampson as head yes. coach. Oh man. There's a name from the past. And they're pretty good. They're like, you know, I think they're kind of, I mean, they're a six seed, so they're, they're not, they got a good seed. Um, they got a good, they got a good, uh, Depending how you feel about Michigan, they've got a, a a pretty awesome road here potentially. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, uh, in, Houston's playing San Diego State, which is sort of a surprise winner in the Mountain West. Um, but Houston, Michigan could be a pretty good game. Yep. So speaking of upsets, we got to talk about the one that has got. Um, hot takes flying all over the internet right now. And that is uh, number one, Kansas versus number 16 Penn. <laughs> and there, there are, so wait, there are, there, so there is a debate about this. Oh, there, there, oh yeah. There's so, a ton of hot takes. <laughs> scalding. So, so the, the analytics community, um, most notably including Nate Silver and Ken Pomeroy have put forward that Penn historically is, uh, the best 16 that there's ever been. And um, wow. not that Kansas is the worst number one seed, but they're relatively but they are for, a, for a Kansas number <laughs> one seed. And that um, this is probably the best chance that there's been in maybe uh, 15 years or so for, for this upset to happen from an analytical perspective. And the, um, the sports, uh, uh monolith of ESPN has reacted with swift fury that anyone would could suggest that a number 16 team would ever win given that they are 0 and 132 in history. Uh, uh, when you said Pomeroy, I just, I brought up the, the Pomeroy rankings so I could kind of see what he's talking about here. So Penn's ranked number 127 by, by Pomeroy and that's higher than several teams that are not 16 seeds. And by comparison, the other 16 seeds are Maryland, Baltimore County is 190th, uh, Texas Southern is 243rd, um, Radford's 165. So yeah, I mean Penn, I guess you could make the argument that they are pretty good for a 16 seed, yeah, but they're also five, ranked. 538 was using ELO ratings and had them um, had them uh, pretty high above. Uh, previous 16 seeds as well. And, and Pomeroy has Kansas ranked ninth, and Xavier 14th, incidentally. Uh, so, I, like, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know nothing about Penn's team, so I don't know. Maybe maybe they're not bad. I don't know. <laughs> that, 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 game is, that game is also a virtual home game for Kansas. Yeah, it is. It's in Wichita, it is in Wichita. which is... Oh, but, but, but that just makes me think of Kansas Bucknell, baby. Just <laughs> ripping the hearts out of just a 99% Kansas crowd. Kansas is... If, if any team could blow this game, it would be Kansas. Now, I'm not saying they will. They'll probably steamroll Penn, but... Kansas loves to just fall on their face in the tourney. So, um, I, I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's funny because again, this goes back to my thinking about the whole, um, NBA just vibe that has hung over this whole season and, and hero ball vibe that has hung over this whole season. And I kind of feel like 
either just like 50% of the people are doing in your bracket, Scott, you've got people who are, are like reactionary against that, who are like, all right, well, who are the great teams or who are the closest thing to great teams, Villanova <laughs> or Virginia? And I feel like the other school of thinking is to pick Duke and be like, well, which team has the most guys who are going to be like top 10 picks? This team has the most guys. They've got Coach K. Maybe they decide to just kind of put it together um, and, and push their way through. I mean, they've got Iona. Then there's a good chance they've got Trey Young trying to play hero ball in the second round. Um, then they probably go up against Izzo, and I guess the rubber meets the road. But I don't know. I I just feel like, you know, if if this were done based on NBA lottery, uh, Duke would, would definitely be the number one team. So I don't know. I... I just kind of wonder if if they're gonna find another gear when it comes to the tourney. How many people have picked Duke to go all the way? Four uh, percent of my entries have Duke winning the title. Do you, do you, you have know, like, when you look at anal- do you have statistical analysis that that um, accounts for like Duke hatred and how that factors in? <laughs> <laughs> or or Grayson uh, Allen hip checks? Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, Duke was, so early in the year, there was a, um, back in November, there was a big 16-team tournament uh, uh, here in Portland, where I live, Portland, Oregon, um, called the PK-80. It was Phil Knight's birthday, uh, 80th birthday, so they had, like, all these teams came to Portland to play the tournament, and it was a lot of the top teams, and Duke was one of them, And, and so I watched Duke play three games here, and it was like, the first game was against our local team, Portland State, and Portland State was ahead at halftime, and was still ahead with about 12 minutes left of the game before Duke turned it on. Then the next game, Duke played Texas, and Texas was up like 15 with about 10 minutes left in the game, and Duke came back and won it overtime. And then the last game was against Florida, and Florida was up by about 15 with <laughs> like 12 minutes left, and Duke came back and won. So like, but it was like one of those things where I was like, man, this team has so much talent and yet they don't seem to want to play games until about 12 minutes left or so. And they realize, oh crap, we're down by 15 points, but we got to do something. Um, and so I think they kind of got this reputation early on as being sort of like this dysfunctional group that couldn't quite get it together. They would have these big wins and then they would lose to like Boston College or St. John's or whatever. And then and they would kind of get it back together again. And then, so I... I I don't know, because I think you're right in the sense that, like, what team's more talented? Like, Duke's got this, like, amazing talent everywhere. And they have, and if Grayson Allen just sort of, like, plays and doesn't do all this, you know, the, the other junk, like, he's pretty good to have, have. He's won a title. He's a senior. Like, um, there's a lot to like about Duke. But just the way their season has gone, I think, has turned a lot of people off of them. Yeah, I mean, I again, it's it's funny because you mentioned the Michigan State picks, right? And I mean, I know Miles Bridges is, uh, you know, is a great player and as consistent a performer as is in college basketball right now. But I've got to think a ton of that is just Izzo magic picks. People are being like, this guy gets it done when the tourney lights are on. Um, you can't go wrong picking Michigan State to go far in the tournament, and I think. That's going to be kind of an interesting thing because, I mean, Michigan State has a, a good team, but
But if you look at like the talent on the team, I mean, I, I don't feel like they're in Duke's ballpark. I mean, Bridges is great, but I mean, Duke's got, Duke's got, I don't know. They may have five NBA players on that roster. I mean, guys who are at least going to have a cup of coffee in the league. And, uh, but I mean, I, I, I hope we get to see that kind of matchup. Um, but I, I kind of wonder in the case of, of a team like that, if they're almost, if Duke's almost going to get a pass for, a little while, especially if Michigan State gets upset, just because I think you know they're going to get to go a couple rounds before they have to play a team that actually plays cohesive basketball. I don't know. Um, although a Coach K matched up with uh, a Hurley in the second round would be kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah. We look at Michigan State. They've lost four games. They lost to Duke. They already played Duke once, and they lost close game way back in November. And then Michigan State's other three losses are twice to Michigan and once to Ohio State. Um, so, you know, those are all good losses. Um, what about that game where we? What What about that game where we just beat the crap out of them? Though I, I mean, we were up so big at halftime, I just turned it off. I, I assume that we <laughs> won by at least thirty points. I mean, clearly that's a I huge that we won. black eye. Probably, yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how that could have gone wrong, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I missed that. They didn't, they didn't lose to the eighty-eighth ranked Northwestern, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is there no love for Xavier? I don't know. Is it just because it's like on a like people? who watch basketball and study it or ever like that. I think even those people kind of get like biased by just the name of the teams. Right. I mean, like cause we, we always talk about like, Oh, such and such team is good. But like, you know, every four years, you know, rosters turn over, but we still have this idea that like a team is because of the name on the front, like they're going to be a certain kind of team. Right. And because Xavier is never, Xavier is always like kind of in it. And sometimes they get to the Sweet 16, but they never really go further than that. Like, just the fact that nobody, like, they've never really done it. Like, people are just kind of like, I don't know about Xavier, you know, kind of like what Gonzaga was going through until last year. People are like, oh, Gonzaga's always kind of there, but they never really get over the hump. And Well, it, ter- it, turns, out it's it turns out if you're Gonzaga, you just need to goaltend and have that not be called. And that, that, that takes you to the finals. Too too soon, Sammy. Too yeah, soon. You know, uh, and, and you know the guy who goaltended was Zach Collins, who now plays for my hometown, Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> oh, no. You go to I'm games just to heckle him? Be like... <laughs> I'm reminded of this every third day when they're on TV. I'm like, oh, God, that guy. Can... <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to jump back to Xavier real quick because one of the – so I, I'm basically in, like, the epicenter of Xavier land in, uh, in Cincinnati, and oh. – the, right, yeah. This like this town was, you know, bonkers uh, for that team as as the as the buildup was happening in February and they got up to what like number four in the nation and then they hosted Villanova on a Saturday and it was on national TV and everyone was really primed and they got blowed out they got they got their butts handed to them and I think that's the lasting image I think everybody has in their mind of Xavier because they haven't had a big game. Since that, I mean, I think maybe they beat Wichita State, but they haven't had anything to really change that perspective. So on top of kind of the, you know, the malaise that you described 
uh, Scott of, of like, they're always kind of in it, but they've never been, you know, they've never been that it team. Um, I think that, that everybody's kind of got that, Ugh, look what happened when they had to play a top, a top ranked team um, taste in their mouth right now. So, so Scott, my question for you is being in Cincinnati, like who, like who, like is Cincinnati the bigger team there? Like in terms of like, like general interest? Um, it depends like, on the community and it really depends on the community in which you live in. Um, I happen to be married into a, uh, pretty strong Catholic family and there's a lot of people I work with that went to Xavier and as a result, um, my Cincinnati experience is just very like Xavier heavy. Uh-huh. It's interesting because during football season, like pretty much everyone's kind of like, oh yeah, go UC, um, because Xavier obviously doesn't have a football team. But um, the other thing, I'm also I live on the east side of town, and I think the east side tends to be more Xavier driven, and the west side tends to be more uc driven but i don't know that i don't know that that's actually true that might just be kind of anecdotal at this stage um but i will say this like all all season long um for for my ear uh, cincinnati wasn't getting nearly the the um the focus and the coverage that xavier was Mm -hmm. Uh, and they and and xavier did win the crosstown shootout uh early in the season so that you know that kind of puts uc in in second tier for the rest of the the rest of the year after after that matchup it's pretty crazy that I have two teams from the same city be like so, you know, both be contenders. And honestly, yeah. both of them have pretty nice looking brackets as far as it goes. I mean, you're never going to get a perfect bracket, but I mean, Xavier has got Gonzaga, and you know they ought to be the class of everyone other than that. And this year's Gonzaga team is not that year's Gonzaga team. Cincinnati, I don't. I mean, Tennessee, I, you know. I don't feel like that's that special of a team. I, I mean, I could see, you know. They're kind that's... of a carbon copy of Virginia, which makes, like, a potential 1-2 matchup really interesting there. Although, although that's that's a – if if you're – that's a uh, – the, the bottom half of the South Regional is a region without a truly dominant team, and it's all laid out for the Loyola Chicago Ramblers to, uh, <laughs> to make their run. Just hey, Tavares is gone now, but his coaching hands are still all over that team, and I think they've you know they can get it done. And Loyola also is a, is like a like a big defensive team, like kind of a old school defense first team, yeah. kind of like Cincinnati and Virginia. Kind of interesting. The best team in Illinois, right? <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you remember that? Do you remember that game during uh, Jatim Young's tenure at NU, where we beat Purdue in the ugliest game ever, forty to thirty nine? Oh uh, I would, yes, actually, I do remember that. I, 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 think, I think we won on a uh, on a last second bucket by the great Muhammad Hashad. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> that is very that is very possible. Uh, I just I just remember Jatim like on. on like face diving and all over the court, just like um, he must have been a myriad of bruises the next day based on how he played in that game. Cause the ball, like the ball was squirting everywhere and everybody was just diving after a turnover after turnover. But you, I, I would love to see a couple of these like defensive stalwart teams play a game where, where the total score uh, is below 90 that I would, I would love that for the, for the NCAA tournament. And, and CBS yeah, take the under that. Virginia. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. 
it's a shame Wisconsin decided to be bad this year and they couldn't they couldn't be <laughs> be involved in this party too. Virginia, Wisconsin, yeah, just uh, teams using the full shot clock, thirty to twenty nine, something like that. Uh. Yeah, I, I will say the SEC is getting a lot of love this year. You, know, you see Tennessee and Auburn, Kentucky, all sort of, you know, up. There's a lot of teams in the SEC. There's not, you know, none of them are really like. Are any of them are top two? No, none of them are even top three. They're all, Tennessee's at three, but like, there's just a lot of teams in that league. Um, so we'll see like what they're about. That's that's the league that I really don't watch hardly any of. Um, I watch a lot of Big Ten and Pac-12, and both of those leagues had, you know, I mean, the Pac-12 was kind of a disaster this year. Uh, Arizona State right now is winning as we speak with five minutes left over Syracuse, but they would be the only, the I believe, the second team in the, in the uh, round of 64 from that league since UCLA lost last night. Do you think that that person in your bracket is like, Really mad because they thought it was going to be Syracuse and Syracuse. They're like, oh, Arizona State can't go all the way like Syracuse can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they're just taking advantage of the uh, two for one. Is there is there any anything else that we're missing? I mean, just as far as you know, any any teams that might be under the radar who you wouldn't be overly surprised to see make a deep run? I, you know what? I I like St. Bonaventure. I was all over them last night. I had never felt better about a playing game than the last night. I was like, St. Bonaventure's going to win this game, and they're going to win the next game. And then who knows what's going to happen. I watched them play a couple of times, and I really liked their team. So you, you, like, the, you like them over Florida, then? I do. I do like them over Florida. Florida really just fell apart. Like, I, or not? I mean, maybe not fell apart, but I mean, like, I, um, I saw them in November at that tournament here in Portland, and they looked really good. I was like, oh man, these guys are going to be great, and they they just they never really got it together. I think they're I think they're ripe for the eleven six upset, and there's sort of a history of some of these first four teams in that you know eleven slot actually. Getting another win or two beyond that first game. Yeah, yeah. VCU, baby. VCU was the big one, right? Yeah, the Final Four, right? Yeah. And St. Bonaventure, yeah, they're kind of a kind of a VCU type story, right? Nobody knows anything about them, but yet they had a really good year in a not a terrible league. I mean, they're in the same league as uh, Rhode Island and and Davidson. That so, backcourt play is often what rules March. And they have, yeah, they have really two really good shooters in the backcourt there. And they, yeah, they were, I watched that game too, and those guys got climbed inside Aaron Holiday's mind and t- took it apart. And he had a, a full-on meltdown at the end of that game. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, you know, I feel like this tournament is just screaming to get started so that something can happen. Because I feel like, there, it's just a bunch of unsexy favorites, and and just teams littered with guys that just feel like they're just having a cup of coffee on the way to the league. And I just I I just feel like ESPN and CBS and the powers that be, they're just they they need their FGCU 
or they need their Bryce Drew. Like they need somebody to step up and be like the Ali Farouk Manesh or something and just put his fingerprints all over this so that they can make it all about him. And I, I don't blame him. I mean, I think, you know, uh, Virginia or Villanova are, are going to play great basketball, I'm sure. But it's, you know, it's, there's just, there, there aren't stars. There aren't the, the kind of players that the, that the leagues are looking for. But I mean, maybe that, maybe that'll all spin the right way. I mean, maybe this is going to be an upset filled tournament. Go Quakers. Well, Go Penn Quakers. <laughs> yeah, maybe Penn will do it. Well, our first game tomorrow is Rhode Island, Oklahoma, like right out of the gate. Oh, uh, wow. And I think that's going to be, that's one of the games of, of the first round, I mean, right away. So, um, I, I'm like being such a Debbie Downer, but I'm like, I like by the time anyone's, by the time anyone checks, Trey Young could already be out of this tournament. Could be, yeah, yeah, two hours into the tournament, he could be done. And that would yeah. be like, that would be, uh, that would be kind of, uh, yeah, that would not be good for the, uh, for the basketball media if he's out <laughs> immediately. I mean, every everyone was all wringing their hands and should Oklahoma be in the tournament at all? And yeah, if they bow out right away, then I don't know the all the one seeds of the NIT will be shaking their fists saying that should have been us. Yeah, there's always the teams. I mean, you know, St. Mary's is kind of brutal to get left out, and uh, Middle Tennessee, which has always been tough in the tournament. Um, and USC, I know there's a lot of like, at least especially from my coast out here about USC getting left out. But I don't know, all those teams, you look at them and go, there's always things you can do better and, you know, make it less of a, make it less of a, uh, of a decision at the end and, you know, leaving it to the committee's hand rather than taking it into your own hands. So, and USC, I got, I got kind of like, bias against them because I watched them early in the season lose to Princeton and I was like, come on, mate. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> oh, well, Scott, we don't want to take up uh, all your entire evening, um, but uh, thank, it, thank you it, once again for, for coming on with us and, and talking brackets. I could talk all night, man. You know. If I may, uh <laughs> double down on this uh this northwestern game we were talking about before just to to close out our pod here okay um i want to read to you guys some quotes from the uh from the recap of this game it was february 11th 2014 or 2004 uh you are right scott quote muhammad hashad hit a three-pointer from the corner with a minute 55 left that proved to be the game winner okay so oh. <laughs> 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 i know um so that that's that's one uh now some 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 blast from the past um in a hard-fought defensive contest evan seacat scored nine points to lead northwestern nine points to lead (laughs) northwestern um uh purdue was coached by gene keady and uh they got i guess they got one of like their their leaders back this game um who had been injured uh quote but it wasn't enough for Purdue, which was frustrated and ineffective against Northwestern's complicated defense. Words that I don't think were ever stated again during the Bill Carmody era. <laughs> uh, that baseline yeah. one three one, the one three one. Although you know that thing did stymie a few teams. True, unexpectedly. Juice, juice, working the baseline. 
Yeah, this, it's funny. This game I, it would I covered, have been TJ uh, Parker. Yeah, right. I covered uh, I, I, I cover high school basketball for the local paper here in Portland, and so this past weekend was the championship weekend, and I was covered a state championship uh, semifinals and finals, and one of the teams played a one-three-one, like this, like super like extended one three one i'm like this is just like watching a bill carbody <laughs> and the funny thing was funny it was like it was they were playing the one three one and they had like their guy that was like five foot four at the back of it and i was like this is totally what northwestern did they would always put their shortest dude at the back of it did they give up a thousand like under the threes <laughs> and well that was the thing though in high school you can kind of give up a lot of corner threes and they're going to be bricks right so it was actually a pretty right. good strategy and I thought they played it fairly well. They were overmatched in the last game, and that again was like Northwestern, right? And um, it made it a pretty tough game. It made a pretty close game using that using that D. But, but there, this coach of this high school was, actually was a college coach previously, so I think he sort of brought a college defense back <laughs> down to, to high school. Because I never I was like, I've never seen a high school team play like a <laughs> super active one three one before, like. Um, that was kind of kind of a funny thing when I was watching it. I was like, oh, man, I'm watching the Carmody era right in front of me. <laughs> well, hey, uh, once again, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, being in touch as the tournament uh, tips off um, tomorrow morning, I guess. Uh, and, yeah, NCAA tournament's always a good time. So thanks, thanks for taking the time to come on with us, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to 29 more years of this. <laughs> <laughs> At least. At least. Thanks again to Scott Sepich for joining us uh, on the pod. Always a pleasure to have him on. Um, you know, he's pretty much a member of, of the family at this point. You know, is easily the most recurring guest we've ever had. By a couple times over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week as we continue our search for the Swoley Grail. For mine, I kind of alluded to it last week talking about... um, you know, lost in and how good Justin Jackson and Godwin Iguobike's combines were, you forget that arguably our biggest workout warrior didn't get a combine invite, and that, of course, is Tyler Lancaster. And we were all kind of psyched for what his performance was going to be like at Northwestern's Pro Day, and he did not uh, disappoint. Putting up the 4-4-3 20-yard shuttle, a 7-4-6 three-cone drill, a 27-inch vertical leap, and a 5-flat or 5-0-1 40 um, this is where we stop and remind you that he's 313 pounds, <laughs> which is just, I mean, you can watch the video of the three cone drill and you watch a guy move like that. And then you're like, Oh my God, this guy is, this guy is a monster. Um, so, and as expected, uh, did not disappoint on the bench, 36 reps at 225, not too shabby. Um, so would have been, would have been fourth best among uh, DTs at the combine. <laughs> Right, and I think his, I believe his three cone would have been sixth best amongst all defensive linemen. Uh, and again, this is where we remind you that he's 6'3", 313 pounds. So um, 
again, did not disappoint and, and I would imagine got himself drafted. Uh, late in the draft, it's hard to uh, talk yourself out of guys that are built like a mountain with fantastic measurables. So, anyway, uh, great work for him. Um, this is, on the heels of a great football season, going to be one of the more exciting Northwestern football drafts in a while. I think a lot of guys have a chance to hear their name called, especially uh, on days two and three. Speaking of, uh, with the acquisition of Trevor Simeon, the Minnesota Vikings, my Minnesota Vikings now boast two former Northwestern players. Of course, Fadi Adenabo was on the practice squad last year. And uh, we were talking before the pod, if they were to draft one of these guys uh, from Northwestern uh, to the team, and th- they will be looking for a, for a third down running back, in my estimation, with the departure of Jarek McKinnon. Um, they definitely uh, could use some depth in the defensive backfield after some injuries really hurt them last year. So, guy winning JJ, you never know. But um, that would put three Northwestern players on one team, which none of us could think of a, a case where that had happened previously, certainly not in the, in recent years. So uh, that is pretty exciting. Of course, this, this, as I have talked about before on this podcast, this is my favorite bloody thing. When, when uh, former NU players get to don the purple once again, um, I have a, I have a pristine Corey Wooten Jersey from, uh, from his one year in Minnesota. And um, I'm really, I'm really stoked about this Trevor Simeon news, partly because it makes the gargantuan financial commitment to Kirk cousins um, a lot more palatable in that uh, our backup QB is basically making peanuts. So um, that feels pretty good. Yeah. I am sad that I have to put my uh, orange Trevor Simeon Jersey on mothballs. Um, you know, my daughter, do- my daughter's little Trevor Simeon jersey. I'll probably have to frame that, uh, put that up somewhere for that that one, you know, two years that uh, she was able to be a Trevor Simeon Bronco fan. So, you, you will always have those those two electric uh, season opening games in which he was just absolutely, dynamite. absolutely. Uh, for my final thought, a couple uh, little bits of recruiting news. Um, Northwestern uh, got commitments from two three-star cornerbacks um, during spring practice. Uh, Roderick Hurd uh, is you know committed. He's from Farmington, Michigan. Um, had just gotten uh, an offer from Michigan. Uh, also had offers from Indiana, Iowa State, Purdue, Syracuse. Uh, but you know, in coming to Northwestern to visit, he. He said that, you know, that was the place for him. So he, he committed. Uh, we also got Cameron Mitchell, another three-star cornerback. Uh, he's from Bolingbrook, um, one of the top 20 recruits in the state. Uh, had been recruited by Minnesota and Wisconsin, didn't have any other power five offers, but, uh, you know, three-star corner, you know, always good to get the in-state guys. So, uh, definitely nice to see the class of 2019, uh, picking up. That, that's very exciting. Um, so that that's the future. Do want to quickly mention a little shot from the past, uh, and that is uh, the retirement of Zach Streif. Um, you know, he announced his retirement this past week. Uh, you know, of the you know Northwestern alums to play in the league, I mean, it's hard to. I mean, with Otto Graham being the exception, uh, but it's hard, it's hard to really think of a guy. You know, for Northwestern, who had the kind of impact that Streif had in the NFL, Steve Tasker maybe, um, but you know, Streif was just an absolute beast for the Saints. You know, won a Super Bowl and is now retiring to run uh, his brewery, which uh, I had no idea that he 
is a brewmaster and uh, owns a brewery. Where where does he own a brewery in in New Orleans? I think so. In New Orleans, and and you know what, that brewery needs some publicity in the Chicago area. And you know what, Zach, there's no better way to bring news of your brewery to the ears of Northwestern football fans who might be coming to New Orleans than for you to make an appearance on the Westlot Pirates podcast. Come on, come on down. We'll treat you right. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, head to our website, uh, westlotpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And as always, you can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.